homies, it's time for another edition of the ITF Flowcast, and we are so happy to be able to have Dan Plata with us. He's the, the CEO of Blue Sky Services, also runs a, a Facebook group, a Bookkeeping Beer and BS, and he's just everywhere. If you if you have anything to do with window cleaning or the window cleaning industry, you know you've seen his, his name and face pop up all over the place. So, uh, Dan, we're really happy to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Gabriel. Good to be here. I love uh, shooting the bull with business owners. So glad to get the opportunity to do more of it. Absolutely. Well, we had several people uh, say, I got to speak to Dan if we're going to have him on here and, and ask some questions about bookkeeping. Uh, so I'm looking forward to picking your brain on stuff as a business owner who's not so hot with his bookkeeping. <laughs> I look forward <laughs> does, to learning it does some tend to be It does tend to be the thing that many of us uh, set off to the side it's not the, not the sexy shiny uh, object for for most uh, people in the home service space so I, I made a meme for my for my uh, instagram and it was this cat like stuck in this corner and then the owner's like trying to pull him out and it was like window cleaner and it was like paperwork and it's like <laughs> and the cat's like ah! <laughs> and that's, that's the way it is right. with me anything with paperwork i hate but but first why don't you tell us a little, little bit about yourself i mean how, how'd you get going and and uh the uh you know with uh, accounting and how did and how did you transfer over to focusing on home services i think i'm, I'm kind of interested on that I'm fine. you know um like many of us totally by accident uh i i worked in the corporate world for about a decade and i i started like straight out of college um started in accounting i actually like I like accounting, but I just hated it in the corporate world because you were just mm. you were just such a pencil pencil pusher and you were so isolated. You didn't get the broad spectrum of the business, right? You didn't get to actually mm. make decisions. And that's like the decisions aren't the fun part. Yeah. When when we do bookkeeping today, we don't do it like so that you can report your taxes. We do it so you can make really good decisions. Decisions are how we make money in the home service space and in all sure. businesses, but uh, especially as CEOs of our businesses. So I did the corporate world thing for about a decade, but shortly after I started there in accounting, I realized I didn't get to make any decisions and that sucked. Uh, so I went into what was called risk management. I, I was in a, a, a company called Cargo, which is a huge private agriculture company. Okay. So when I say risk management, it was uh, it was basically a trading position. I was what I call slinging chicken feed. I was trading <laughs> corn and soybean meal futures primarily, but also like developing some financial tools to help McDonald's hedged their sausage risk for their egg burrito, you know, the breakfast. Oh, no kidding. Um, and I will say like, uh, it's not like a claim to fame sort of thing, but that thing was a dollar for a hell of a long time. And when I, yeah, left, was... and came in, when I left and came into the small business world and, and uh -huh. uh, whatever I was doing there, it was no longer a dollar anymore. So I'm, not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying I was the only one keeping it a buck, but it sure is, you know, correlation <laughs> or causation you decide, but now it's like two bucks for go. those damn things. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I, I just I want you to go go back and bring back the the Big Mac, two Big Macs for two dollars. That's what I wanted from McDonald's. Oh man, I, that's I, I, pretty soon. I lived off this, of that. At this rate of inflation, <laughs> it's going to be like two Big Macs for twenty bucks. Yeah, no um, kidding. But but what I really loved about that role, and I think got it started to drive me towards the entrepreneurial itch that I have. Um, in that role, one day I'd be at a farm in Iowa meeting mm -hmm. with farmers, talking about their price risk of buying ingredients. And I'm like walking around 6 million chickens that are all laying eggs, like just for McDonald's or just for Denny's or whatever the case was. And the next day I'd be in a corporate office in Chicago working with McDonald's treasury department. And the next day I'd be out on our plant floor, um, you know, talking to our operations manager. So I just got the full spectrum of a business and it's hard to find a role where you get to do that 
especially in the corporate world. And the, the more I like advanced there, I realized like I just kind of got pigeonholed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, how do I get into a role where I just get to do everything? Like I want to, I don't want to have to do everything, but I want to get to do what I want to do and be able to like impact all the decisions. And when I started kind of realizing this shortcoming of the corporate world for me, um, at the same time, my financial advisor left Northwestern Mutual. He kind of had the cushy corporate job and he said, I'm going to leave. I'm going to buy small businesses. I'm going to turn them around and sell them. And I was like, that's crazy. That's super cool, but it's crazy. And I'm not like, uh, I'm not so risk seeking that, that that was something I was going to do, but I was really interested. So I just kind of put the plug in his ear. I was like, Hey, uh, if there's ever a time you need help, like, let me know. I'll like moonlight for you. Uh, maybe someday I'll like join. If you've got a business that you need somebody to come in and operate, I might be the guy. Like, let's, let's stay in touch. So he and I, and, and it helped that he and I lived like two miles away from one another. Oh, um, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, the first business that him and the other two partners bought, not now I own part of this business at the time I didn't, I was just, you know, I was like, I was the fan club. Um, <laughs> they, they bought a, a background check in like tenant screening business. So that was the first investment they made that in a couple of years, they turned it around and went from losing money to making money and they sold it at a really nice, uh, turnaround, like profit return, however you want to look at that. Uh-huh. Um, but it wasn't a sustainable business for the long term. Like there were some opportunities to make it sustainable. They got mm-hmm. an offer that they couldn't refuse. So they exited it. But that, that was what they set out to do was, you know, buy a business, turn around, sell it. So right. they were kind of fulfilling their mission at that point. Um, within that span, they bought a little shitty window cleaning business called Blue Skies. And uh, clearly it didn't go too bad because we're still here and we've like built on this thing. But um, at the time it was doing 60000 a year in revenue. It had two employees. I don't know how it made any money. It had two employees. Like, I, I don't know what... I don't, I still don't understand what their business model was at the time. And I also don't understand why the hell we bought it. Um, like totally by accident, I, the, the rationale with why we bought it was what's, <laughs> like, what's the worst that could happen? Um, we, we, we soon after found out there was a lot more that could happen than we thought was the worst that could happen. Um, but we bought it cause it was just priced so cheap. It was kind of like, mm-hmm. if we go clean a few windows, we're going to make some money. So let's go, let's go clean some windows. Um, and at that time, I started to get more involved. And so Mike Dalkey, who's one of my partners in Blue Skies, he and I would go to Starbucks, uh, meet up, talk about the business model, look at the financials. And we started designing the chart of accounts and getting really nerdy with how we measured stuff so that we could turn this thing around and get it profitable. Um, we eventually got it profitable, found some marketing levers to pull. I say we, I did, I did jack shit at this time. It was Mike <laughs> and, and his team. Um but behind the scenes, I was kind of like helping them with the spreadsheets and with the chart of accounts and figuring out where we were going to make investments and what kind of return we needed on those. And so um, we went pretty big into radio advertising on one or two stations and one hit and worked. And all of a sudden our business went from, you know, 100,000 to 450,000 within like two years. Um, and so we were like, oh, we got something here. Hmm. So we took that. And then we bought another window cleaning company in Cincinnati. And then we bought another one out in Portland, Oregon, um, thinking like, hey, we have this business model. We were able to turn it around from a losing money company to something profitable and growing in Minneapolis. Let's see if we can replicate this. 
Um, in hindsight, that was a really stupid ass idea. I don't know why we thought we were just going to go like replicate this in different locations. Everything's the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Different markets are so different (laughs) and and managing an employee that you get to see every day versus managing halfway across the country. So, um, we hadn't figured that out at this point in time yet. We were still like working on the business model. One of the things that we got trapped with was all of these locations had quite a bit of seasonality. Minneapolis Mm -hmm. was shut down for three or four months in the winter. Uh, Cincinnati, a couple months, Portland, basically a couple months. And so we ended up with a big time cash flow crunch every winter. And so mm-hmm. we said, how are we going to navigate this cash flow issue? And we said, well, you know, southern, we southern cities, either southern cities. We looked at some southern cities and we just we, we had started to figure out that if we didn't have a guy to send to a southern city, and we didn't have the right acquisition target that came with the guy. Like the guy was the most important part. Um, sure. we, we were feeling some pain already from not having the right guy in some of our businesses. And so we said, well, maybe we can add on some interior cleaning where we're already on the outside of the house. If we're on the inside, we can clean all year. Um, and if it's like a maid service style business, it's recurring revenue. And that would mm-hmm. be really sexy to tack on with window cleaning, which is making us a nice, healthy profit. We didn't really know where to start. We didn't really know how to clean a house. And we had no experience running that style of business. We, we literally like cold called companies uh, that were in the markets we were in and just said, hey, are you interested in selling? And some dumbass who's now one of my business partners today said, yeah, I'd be. <laughs> so, so, so Derek Christian in Cincinnati had um, a long track record in the maid service business. He had some other mm-hmm. investments that were taking his time. He was doing some coaching. And he said, yeah, I'd be interested in selling um, and, and I'll stick on board and do like some consulting with you guys. And I like your business model and what you're doing. And so, you know, there's, there's some opportunities here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we bought his business in Cincinnati. He introduced us to another business in Cleveland that we bought. Um, and, and the guy we bought that from is still involved. And he, he's actually our recruiting director now. Um, and Derek is, is a partner of ours in Cincinnati. And Derek introduced us to another maid service company in St. Louis. And so we, we got some investors on board and bought that. We also started to like tack on home cleaning to our Minneapolis location and our Portland location. So all of a sudden now we had this like gauntlet of businesses. Mm. Um, we still hadn't perfected the leadership model. Um, and I think uh, that was the biggest learning lesson of getting spread so thin is right. we could do it all again. We would have grown Minneapolis to 2 million first. And then started doing these satellite locations. We, we pulled the trigger too soon and getting like spread way thin. And so Minneapolis like plateaued at 500,000 bucks for a few years because it just never got attention. We were off to spinning too many plates. Um, wow. so, so since then, we've brought in more business partners because we need the guy, right? So we merged with a competitor of ours in Minneapolis. And now our business is back to growing like gangbusters. We brought Derek back into Cincinnati and now he's able to manage that. Um, we got rid of some of our businesses. We, we made an investment in Tampa that we sold. We sold the Portland entity, um, St. Louis. We found the right person to manage after like three different times of trying the wrong person. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and same with, same with our Cleveland location. So we've learned a lot about the people side of the business, right? It, you know, we can clean whatever the hell we want, but at the end of the day, our business is only as good as the people we have. It doesn't yeah, matter what our marketing is doing. It doesn't matter what type of equipment we're using. Really we're in the people business. And so uh, the more and more we've embraced that, the, the better our locations have done. Um, and that all kind of takes me to what the hell we're here to talk about, which is a few years ago, we realized we had all these systems that we built. 
really like the bookkeeping side was, was something Mike and I started building way back in like 2011. And so we, and so as we bought these businesses, we had to have this like financial framework to plug them in and measure them to make sure that they were performing. Right. Um, at the same time, we realized with, with our leadership model kind of broken of trying to get these locations to perform, we had to get really good at recruiting because our turnover was tremendous. Um, and so Sean, who we, who we had bought his home cleaning business in Cleveland, he was kind of tasked with running all of the home cleaning locations, but he also was tasked with recruiting for all of our locations. Okay. Um, and so we kind of realized like we had to be the best in the world at recruiting because at f- first and foremost, we just needed employees to go clean stuff. Our training sucked. Our leadership sucked at the time. My leadership sucked at the time. And so <laughs> we had a lot of fixing to do. But at first it was like, well, let's just get good at hiring so we can at least like keep plugging the holes when people leave. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, like there's better ways to have gone about that. But that was I mean, like, that is so amazing that that was your that was your strategy was just keep bringing people. in. <laughs> it was like until we can figure out how to keep them. We I got to yeah. figure out, you know, like how to get. Them. Wow. Um, and so well, we we ended up developing all these processes. And at one point, Mike had some other investments that he was doing outside of Blue Skies. And some of those other investments obviously needed employees and needed bookkeeping. And the more other investments he did, he was like, hey, guys, like every investment that I'm going to make needs these things that we built within Blue Skies. And we have uh, intentionally, but but not for this purpose, we had built an admin entity within Blue Skies. Wow. So like each location would use the admin company for the bookkeeping, for the recruiting, uh-huh. for some sales and marketing stuff. And it was, it was totally by like pull, like we didn't push to any customers. Customers started coming to us saying, yeah. and at the time we didn't even know they were a customer, right? They were a buddy right, of ours right. that ran a business and they'd be like, man, I cannot find employees. Like, how do you guys find them all? It's like, well, here's, you know, we built this system to do all these things. Cause we kind of suck at leadership and management. <laughs> you know, I was like, like, this is kind of what we, what we're good at and what we're not good at. Um, and so they're like, well, well, how can you hire like employees for me? And we're just like, I don't know. Like, I guess, give me access to your Indeed account and your Facebook and your Craigslist and we'll like, you will start getting the applications. And all of a sudden, like, I don't know what to do with 300 applications. And we're like, sorry, we don't like, we're just trying to help. We're, we're just getting the application flow. And so we continued to like build out those processes and same thing on the bookkeeping side. We figured mm-hmm. out how to bring clients on board where we could manage the bookkeeping and the finances for them and really be like a CFO. Um, okay. We don't do the taxes. We just set them up to, to be able to make good decisions with their money. And at the end of the year, taxes are super easy because we've got it all right throughout the year. So right. um, that's kind of how we got here today. Back in 2018, we really started taking on external clients. And so now we've got a few hundred. I don't, we're not to 300 yet. We're somewhere between 200 and 300 bookkeeping clients and then a similar on the, on the recruiting side, a couple hundred clients that we're helping in the home service space. That's amazing. I, I I love that story. I mean, that is so cool. You, <laughs> how the recruiting just kind of organically sprout out of just trying to survive, you know, and now you got this thriving service that it, especially right now with everyone struggling to find quality employees. I mean, you guys are just filling such an important uh, niche right now, you know, with yeah, that. It's, it's, um, it's, it's stressful out there. I mean, it's like your, your business literally can't survive without people. And so we've seen it over and over again. Like I've actually seen it on the bookkeeping side where people we've lost bookkeeping clients because they decided to shut their doors because they couldn't find employees. 
and they just got so demoralized mm-hmm. that they went out of business because they were yep. they you know that that piece of their world sucked so much so it is yeah. it's like if, if you can't get that part right it really sucks running a home service business absolutely well and and especially you know obviously we, we don't deal with this but with the restaurant industry as well we've had several in in my, in my town in tucson arizona um several long time restaurants shut down just because they're like we can't we can't get people to, to serve we can't get yep. chefs we can't get servers and they just close you know it's it's sad it's a, it's or, or, or they eliminate locations you know yep yep it's a, it's amazing how many places are like very restricted hours not open on certain days of the week mm-hmm. or whatever the case is and it kind of like it really makes you go where did everybody go like where are all okay, the so, so so what what is your theory what is because i i've heard, i've read articles i've talked to a million people and everyone's got a different thing what is your theory as to what's happening right now i mean like it's a it's a cocktail of things right it's never it's never as easy as like well mm-hmm. it's this one thing um mm-hmm. part of it is the older generations that are probably in their 50s and 60s they just left the workforce right and and we, we probably like discount that a little bit because our employees are oftentimes teenagers. And so we, we ignore that, that segment of the market, but in the restaurant space, that was a pretty big group of those servers. And they just kind of said like, I don't need this. I'm out. Right. Um, for the, um, sorry, my phone's blowing up here is my business yeah, partner. Right. Wonder, wonder if he's watching. Um, <laughs> but, but so um, for the younger generations, I think a lot of them, especially in like the manual labor space, just kind of said, you know, I don't know if I want to go do those dirty jobs, right? When everybody is hiring and I can go get any job that I want, what mm-hmm. job do I really want? We, we lost our number two employee in one of our locations. It, and it, was, it wasn't a, a, a bad separation. It was very much like, hey, we, like, we know you really want to go do this thing. You've expressed to us that you really want to do this thing. We don't have a seat on our bus for that. She wanted to get into dentistry and it's like, that's freaking awesome. Like go yeah. get into dentistry, like go pursue your dreams. That's disgusting. I would never want to look in people's <laughs> mouths, but like you're either cleaning toilets or looking in, you know, looking in people's mouths, I guess, you know, pick, pick, pick your dream job there. But so, so like we exited her, but um, I think that's a third segment, which is people that just said, what do I really want to do? I'm going to go like go into the education space, go get mm-hmm. some, some knowledge while I can, mm-hmm. while the government's paying me to do it, right? The government's paying us to stay home. So if, if there was a time I could afford to not be working 80 hours a week, mm-hmm. it's right now. She went back to dental school and then she went into that space. And I guess the last thing would be more and more people are doing what we're doing right now, which is working from home. And that has a lot of sex appeal to it, the, the, sure. especially if you have kids and families. And right now, like, shit, my kids have been home half the damn school year because it's like yeah. they either got sick or somebody else got sick and and all hell breaks loose and they're shutting stuff down. So mm-hmm. I think there's there's a whole cocktail of those types of things that are causing people to not really be in the manual labor jobs, whether they're getting retrained or they're trying to get that job that's an office admin type of role working from home. Like we, we haven't had a hard time filling those types of jobs at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got the older generation leaving and, and just exiting the workforce altogether. So a lot of things I, going. On. Yeah. I think that, that makes a lot of sense because if, if the older ones are leaving, if they, if they have that opportunity to retire, either retire early or like you said, just go, you know, do something else, but they're spending time with their grandkids or whatever that creates a vacuum. So that automatically sucks in a lot of the, the younger speaking younger 30, you know, 20 to 30 year olds mm-hmm. who now are going to fill that. 
and then that takes away from the open pool of people who might be looking to to yep. Um, yep. You know, go work somewhere. So and really, yeah. like if you look at the the population demographics, that like young boomer age mm-hmm. had just more people in it. Mm-hmm. Our younger demographics don't. We just there literally aren't as many of the younger absolutely. People. Um, Absolutely. So when the older people leave, there's just not enough people to take their spots. So well, you know, I I can remember in in school and in, in high school, you know, this is back in the '90s, or early '90s, talking about that potential. Once the boomers went, you know, once they started retiring, that it would leave a vacuum. Now that you just said that right now, I remember studying about that in economics that yep. they're they're they were already anticipating it back then that it would create a, a hiring vacuum once they got to that age and they just either couldn't or didn't want to. And, and I think the pandemic probably pushed that as well. Um, like you said, they're just like, nah, we're not dealing with all this stuff. You know, we're just going to retire now or stay home or do something yep. else. You know? Yep. And they can all get a job working part-time doing computer stuff from home. Yep. And it's just so easy to do nowadays. Right. I, I keep telling people like when, when somebody's trying to hire an office manager, I'm just like, you uh-huh. can find somebody for 20 hours a week working from home. And they're going to be the best employee you've ever had. And they're going to be 65 years old and just trying to pick up a few hours a week. And they're going to be mm-hmm. way overqualified and they're fine with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yep. that person's out there and pretty easy to find. Awesome. Very good. Well, what can a small company do then to try and find, cause you mentioned indeed, I, that's how I hire. I, um, well, first I, I search around, you know, I ask around the people I know I respect other business owners, not necessarily just window cleaning or cleaning industry, but just people who I respect who yep. I, I feel would have a good, uh, sense of character, you know, but when that, when I, that pool is dry, I, I usually go indeed. Um, what are some tips that you would give to a, a small company who's just looking to hire the one or maybe two people to get them through a busy, a busy season? And there's there's three places to look and and it's, this is just like marketing, right? If we flip Mm -hmm. around what we're so used to doing on the marketing side of our business, this isn't a whole lot different. The best source is always referrals. Always. Um, They convert the best and, and recruiting, we should be concerned about conversions too, right? When we think about our marketing, Mm -hmm. we're like, how many leads do we get in? How many turn into clients? When we Mm -hmm. think about our recruiting game, really, it's the same thing. It's like, how many applicants Mm -hmm. did we get in? How many did we turn into employees? Um, we're going to get less applicants from referrals, but our conversion rate is going to be much higher. And, and we're going to be more confident because, you know, Jim, who's like a stud said that this is the guy. Um, and so I think referrals are always the first place to look. And I'm not ashamed to admit, like pay, pay for those referrals, right? You're either mm-hmm. going to have to spend a bunch of money on indeed, or you get to spend a bunch of money to the person that's already working for you. I'd way much rather pay them. So, so I think using your existing staff to, to leverage their network and be really intentional about it. We do a, what we call a social media minute. And I actually picked this up from a nonprofit board I was on where we, when we were in meetings with our nonprofit board, we would have a social media minute and we would all like share posts to our networks from their pages. Um, and our employees can do the same for us. Like when we're in mm-hmm. our weekly meeting, social media minute, Let's all like our, our social media guy made this post for us about some cool stuff we're up to. Let's share it to our network and talk about how cool it is to work here. Um, we're going to need to hire people. Our employees better like the people we hire. Like the, the first person that gets impacted by a shitty hire is the employees. So we just always tell our employees like, Hey, we need your help. And you're the first person that benefits from us. Oh, finding I love good that. People, right. I if we don't find angle. good people, like yeah. your life sucks. So help us find good people and we will pay you to do so. So like, let's leverage your network. So nice. being, being active about finding referrals. 
The second would be boots on the ground stuff. And, and you can do this and your employees can do it, but like handing out the business cards, going outside of your network, whether you're at a restaurant or you're at a gas station. We, we just picked up two people that worked at a gas station in our St. Louis location um, that are cleaning houses for us now. And, and generally they just don't think of the home services space is a pace is a place that's going to pay really well, but we pay a lot better than a lot of manufacturing places or gas stations or retail or food service. And so we have a compelling job to offer that it's just not something that people are thinking about or searching for. So doing that boots on the ground stuff, whether it's us as the business owner, or again, just even incentivizing our employees to be out scouting and passing out business cards and finding people in the community that are maybe working a job that are, you know, good at it, but are looking for something else, like just cast as many nets as possible. So that that's like the boots on the ground step two um, piece of the recruiting system. And I'd say the third is the digital recruiting stuff. So we use an applicant tracking system to try to harness all this. There's a, I'm not going to get into all the weeds on it because we'll be here for no, three hours. Yeah. Um, but using an applicant tracking system generally allows you to post to a bunch of different job boards all at once. We use career plug and we use hire who. Um, so we have two different ones that we use and the, they do a couple things. One is they broadcast your post. So that goes to indeed and goes to like 50 other job boards, zip recruiter, monster.com, uh, like a bunch of obscure ones that nobody will ever apply on. And that's totally okay. Because it also then, uh, builds a bunch of content that Google likes and Google for jobs is super important. So you want to make sure your job is showing up on Google for jobs. And one great way to make sure you're in there, you can't pay for it. It's not like Google ads. You can't mm -hmm. pay to be listed on Google for jobs. They just need to see, it's like SEO, right? They need to see the <laughs> right type of content that you're sharing and you're putting out there. And by posting jobs to a bunch of different places, Google sees that you have some authority and they'll list your job under like when people search cleaning jobs near me or whatever the case is. So that's, that's, that's a super important piece of it. And then I would say, uh, just like marketing, where we're going to have Google ads going, we're maybe going to have Facebook ads going, we're maybe going to be putting flyers out, you know, X, Y, or Z, where you're, wherever you're spending marketing dollars, we can do the same on recruiting. The big four for us are Indeed, ZipRecruiter, Facebook, and Craigslist. And at any given point in time, we should be spending money on all four of those in all of our locations. Yeah. They, they change like the algorithms change really frequently. The keywords change really frequently. And so it's kind of like, we want to be in all the places because Craigslist will suck for like three or four months in a row. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like we get a few employees from it. And then indeed goes south and gets really expensive for a short period of time. Uh -huh. And everybody sucks that comes through there. And then all of a sudden we get some employees from it. So I think so much of it is just like making sure you've got enough lines out there that gotcha. wherever people are searching around, you're in the game. Yeah. And the last piece of that, that I'd say is, don't be afraid to spend a bunch of money on it. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. The amount of money that our employees makes us is so much more than our customers make us, right? An employee makes us a hundred thousand to like $300,000 of revenue a year. We, very few of our customers are paying us a hundred thousand to 300,000, mm -hmm. like maybe a couple of contracts if you're in that game, you know, mm -hmm. but, but our employee, but, but that, even that doesn't happen without an employee. Right. And for so many of us, our marketing budget is thousands and thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of dollars a month. And our recruiting budget is like 500 bucks a month. Yeah. It's like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. The marketing budget doesn't do a shit if we don't have the people to go clean it. So in our business, we usually say like we have 15 to 20% that we'll spend between the two. And if we have all the employees, we'll spend 20% of our revenue on marketing and get really aggressive with growth. But especially in this market, most of the time, 
we're shifting a bunch of that budget to recruiting. In our Minneapolis window cleaning location, this last year we were spending five grand a month on job ads. We're, wow. we're still spending fifteen grand a month on on marketing too. Mm-hmm. But like the that twenty thousand bucks that we spent used to be nineteen thousand on marketing and one thousand on recruiting ads. And this year it really flexed the other way. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to ten thousand to recruiting and ten thousand to marketing because customers are so easy to find right now. The only the only thing that like disables your ability to go get them is not having the employees to sell, you know, the work into. So. I love it. Thank you so much. That was a lot of really good information. So, uh, and I, I, I was surprised when you said Craigslist, I've never had good success with Craigslist. I'm sure it's like an area thing, but I always seem to get like really bad, really bad quality candidates yep. from Craigslist. So, but, so uh, in that applicant tracking system, part uh-huh. of the beauty of it is it like weeds out the shitty applicants because oh, okay. they got to answer a few questions and they get a score. And so you just don't, if they have, if they suck, you just never even hear, you don't oh, even gotcha. Okay. Um, and so, and Craigslist is super hit and miss. Um, part of it is, and, and again, I won't go into detail here. Sean Day, who's our recruiting director, has his blue collar recruiting Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And he goes into like some of the really specific gems of how to write an Indeed ad and why that needs to be different than the one you write for ZipRecruiter. And Craigslist is like totally different mm-hmm. um, in, in the way it needs to look to get the clicks. Um, and so it might just be, you're not getting the right clicks because the ad's not formatted in the right way. That's and true. It's, it's, it's the same ad and everything for what we've done, you know, so that, that makes sense if you need to word it a certain way for it to kind of yeah, get it's a like, different audience. I, w- I want to say in Indeed, keywords need to be at the top and you got to know what keywords people are clicking on. One of the things we find is really interesting is like in Minneapolis, like posting a job with window cleaner in the title rarely gets clicked. But if we post a job with general labor in the title, that gets clicked like crazy because that's what people are searching for. And it Mm. doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what we're trying to sell. It just matters what they're trying to buy. We want to intercept them when they, when they're searching for a warehouse job, Mm-hmm. We, we want them to click on our job because they haven't even thought about cleaning windows or pressure washing. So we're not posting a job description of here's our window cleaner position. It's like, if you like working with your hands and don't mind being outside and, and you think you might like working in a warehouse or a restaurant, like we start listing all the things they might be searching for right up at the top in the keywords so that when they search, our ad shows up, even though they're searching for working in a restaurant. Um, Craigslist is the opposite. I think all the keywords go down in the bottom mm. and you, and like the way you list them doesn't need to be in a sentence. You can just like smash them in with commas or something like that. Um, again, I'll, I'll, I'll defer if people want to know more about that, jump on the blue collar recruiting Facebook page. Cause Sean's always dropping cool content about how to do all the Boolean tags or whatever it is. And in, in, indeed ads to get them to show up. I'm, I'm, I'm like making up words now. Cause he's clearly, <laughs> um, there's so, there's a lot behind the scenes that uh, that I take for granted because he's, he's yeah. just with it. Oh, very cool, very cool. Well, I, I I appreciate all of that on the on the recruiting side, but now I really want to focus on the bookkeeping side because the real um, sexy stuff. Well, it is you know because I talk to other you know I interview a lot of business owners and I've had several points specifically to your programs to uh, it was what helped them kind of streamline get get profitable kind of take a. Uh, uh, a good business in the sense that it had good reputation, it was good quality, good workers, but then turn it into where it's actually growing and, and making a profit. So talk a little bit about what you what you offer as services and, and why that's important for even small businesses like, like ours. Yeah. So um, 
I like to start by differentiating the accounting processes that we all have within our businesses. Mm -hmm. We have them, whether we like it or not. And we usually uh, mix them up or don't define them properly. So there's three different accounting things that happen in your business. All of them need to get done. One is what I like to call the mother-in-law work. And I say that uh, in a very like genuine sort of way, like seriously, uh, the person I was working with, I, I talked earlier before we jumped on about, we're trying to solve this payroll thing. And it's literally my business partner's mother-in-law that's working on this. <laughs> she is, she is our, our payroll yeah. person. So mother-in-law work is the accounting that doesn't actually require an accountant. She's not an accountant, but she is 10 times better than me or anybody else on our team at following processes like accounts payable, accounts receivable and payroll. There's no accounting work that's like traditional accounting that needs to get done. You don't need any accounting education to pay an invoice, to collect an invoice, or to punch information into a payroll system. Um, we don't use our CPA to do payroll because Gusto is, is out there to punch your stuff in and they handle all the payroll taxes and stuff like that. So you don't need a, a, an accountant to be doing your payroll stuff. Mm -hmm. Use Gusto. There's, there's a few others out there. We're a Gusto partner program. So if you, if you need payroll service, let me know and uh, I'll hook you up with our Gusto link so you can save some money. Mm -hmm. um, but like those types of things don't need an accounting person. They just need an office person that's super reliable, super consistent, always on time. Um, we don't do that in our business. We actually like tried to help some companies with that. And we were like, we're just like way too expensive. It doesn't make sense for you to pay <laughs> yeah. us to do something that you can do way better internally. Like let us find one of those 10 to 20 hour a week people that are sitting at home that want to be remote and just work on their computer. That's the person you want to hire for 15 mm -hmm. to 20 bucks an hour instead of us. So, so we don't do that stuff. The other end of the spectrum that needs to get done. And we also don't do is all the tax stuff. You need to have a CPA in your corner, a tax professional mm -hmm. that can just protect you, right? It's a risk aversion thing. Make sure the taxes are getting done correctly on time by somebody that knows what they're doing and is a good communicator. Um, we have like, we got to pay sales taxes for a few of our locations too. And yeah, we could probably figure out how to submit that information, but if it's tax related, we delegate it all to them besides the payroll stuff, the payroll taxes all get taken care of by gusto. We delegate everything else to our CPA. We could figure it out, but like, I'm not here to be a tax expert and those tax laws are going to keep changing. And I want them to be on top of it, right? Yeah. Um, the spot that gets overlooked is what's in between there, which is all of the financials that we need to run our businesses and make decisions with. Uh, a lot of times people are going to hire their CPA to do their bookkeeping. And a CPA does bookkeeping for tax purposes. And there's nothing wrong with that if you don't plan on like using financial metrics at all. But a, but a CPA is generally going to do bookkeeping maybe like once a month or once a quarter. And they're going to organize it in a way that jives with their tax system, <laughs> you know, how they enter stuff into their portal to, to pay your taxes, they're not going to organize stuff in a way that helps you understand what's going on in your business. So the niche that we fill is bookkeeping done for business owners as finance people. So yeah, we're accountants, but we're not doing bookkeeping so that your CPA loves us. Most mm -hmm. of them do because they're like, holy shit, you like, I, I literally just yesterday, January 3rd, I have all of our books done and reconciled for all of our entities. Cause there's like nothing to do. If you do your books wow. right all year, there's like literally you click a button and you're done. And so that process we realized everybody else needed too. Cause it sucks when it's like March 15th, you're like, Oh shit, taxes, taxes, taxes. I, I haven't even looked at my books all year. Um, and so we do bookkeeping a, a few, a few like highlights of it. We do it weekly because 
we want to have as relevant of information as possible. And the sooner we have the data, the better, especially like cost of goods sold. We want to know how mm-hmm. much it's costing us to go out and produce in the field. And we want our operations people to know how they're performing. So we're sending cost of goods sold updates to our team every single week. And we can do that because we're doing our bookkeeping every single week. So we do the same for our clients. We get their books done every single week. So they have updated information. They can see especially what their cost of goods sold is every single week and make sure they're producing at the, at the profit margins they want to produce. The next thing we do is obviously we reconcile at the end of the month. And then we send our clients a report that breaks down their books into five groupings. Instead of like 40 lines of expenses, where if you look at a full-blown profit and loss statement, and I'm going to do the same thing. Like I'm not saying anybody's better or worse than me. Uh, I love finances, <laughs> but if you send me a full-blown profit and loss statement, I'm going to look at the top line and I'm going to look oh, at the wow. bottom line. <laughs> and if like those two numbers look all right, like I'm just moving on, right? Um, there's just too much noise in between, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we do the books, we organize it into five different groups of expenses that are going to be based on how we make decisions as business owners. It's literally going to be the types of decisions we make and who we can hold accountable to make sure that we're running our business within the business model. And the percentages of like how much of the revenue you should spend on those different subsections varies from industry to industry. A lot of it's similar, but window cleaning is a little different than pressure washing and lawn care and landscaping are mm-hmm. way different than paver sealing or garage floor coatings. Um, so five groupings of expenses. The first one that we all kind of talk about or hear a lot about is cost of goods sold, which is how much is it costing you to go produce X job? Not all of your infrastructure costs, not all of your marketing costs, just literally when you send people out to do a job, how much does it cost? What's the, the, the money that's left is called your gross profit. The percentage would be the gross profit margin. Um, so we always want to have that dialed in. We want to know when we go out to do a job for our business, for our window cleaning companies, we want to make 55% of that money. So if it's a $1,000 job, we need to make $550 when we go out to do that. So our COGS has to be 45% or below. So that's going to be like the labor, the supplies, the tools and equipment, the gas to get out there, even the merchant processing, because we expect to get paid when we go and do a job that's like important to us. Um, Damages and repairs. Uh, What else am I missing? Workers' comp insurance we put in there, Mm because obviously safety is a big part of what we do. And all of those things, we're going to hold our production manager accountable to. They oversee all the people in the field and they oversee the routing to make sure the schedule is done right so that we can do it as efficiently as possible. We don't want, if there's two jobs right next to each other, we don't want somebody doing one of the jobs and driving across town and then another guy driving and picking off the job across the street, right? Right. That's wasting gas, that's wasting time. We can't be productive doing that. Our production manager is responsible for all of that stuff. So we use cost of goods sold as like how we manage productivity and we hold our production manager accountable for that. The next obvious one is marketing. We got to have our marketing dialed in. And when we, when we look at our client acquisition costs, we don't just look at the ads that we spend money on. We also look at how much we're paying to the person that's running the ads. How much are we paying for the website and the software infrastructure like Responsibit or any other stuff that you use that makes it easy for leads to come in and find you? Mm-hmm. Um, SEO type of labor, whatever the case is. We group, we look at the ad spend to be able to compare Uh, this radio station versus that TV station or Facebook versus Google. We want to know from an ad spend perspective, roughly what's that that's costing us. But Mm -hmm. a lot of marketing is counterproductive, not counterproductive, like Mm co-productive. When we market on the radio, 
our Google ads perform really well. <laughs> like go figure. Cause people are just searching for us and clicking on our stuff. Right. Um, and, and our Facebook ads perform a lot better when we're marketing on the radio. Cause people are thinking like, Oh yeah, I've heard of them before. Right. And so we also just want to me measure what's our total acquisition cost. How's the performance of the whole thing. So marketing is really important to just like isolate that line item. And we don't worry as much about how much we budgeted for marketing. We really worry about how is that group of costs performing? Is it bringing in enough leads and are we converting those leads at the pace we want? Um, so transitioning from that, when we convert a lead, it's not as much based on our marketing usually as it is the person that they talk to first at our company, right? We sure. have customer service people, we have salespeople, they all fall in the admin bucket. So that's category number three, kind of our people infrastructure. If marketing is getting the leads in, admin is converting the leads and like nurturing them and taking care of them after the fact mm -hmm. and, you know, collecting the payments, stuff like that. Um, so admin infrastructure is kind of our people, uh, our people not out in the field, I'll say. The last two little buckets, um, they're little in terms of percentage, but they're huge in terms of how often I see people screw them up and throw money down the drain like crazy and, and end up not being profitable. The first is our fixed overhead. And by fixed overhead, I mean like our non-people infrastructure, mm -hmm. uh, stuff like utilities, rent, liability insurance, software, dues and subscriptions, interest expenses on debt that we have, all of the stuff that's proactive and predetermined, where if you do twice as much work next month or half as much work next month, those bills are generally going to stay the same. Yeah. And so people oftentimes pile on way too much infrastructure way too fast. And the important thing to realize, our customers don't give a shit. They don't right. care what software we're using. They don't care what, yeah. they, they might make sure we have liability insurance, but they're not like, who's your insurance provider? Um, they don't care what building we're renting because they're not showing up there. Now, if, if you're out, not working from your house, if, you're, if you've got a location, yeah, that's nice. And there's some employee engagement benefits from having that location and just not having people stopping at your house every day. But like, you really got to be careful because your customers don't care. They're not, you can't charge them more because you went and rented a shop. That's just pure money out of your pocket. So those infrastructure costs, we try to keep at 5% of revenue and really like that's hard to do, but super important to keep that infrastructure low. The last one is our variable overhead. And it's kind of all like the non-recurring, non-fixed pieces of our infrastructure. We talked a lot about recruiting. Our recruiting goes under variable. The more work we do, mm -hmm. the more people we need. And, it, and, and variable meaning Generally, the more that we do, the more those costs go up. Travel, meals and entertainment, employee engagement stuff, um, repairs and maintenance is a big one that falls in mm -hmm. there because the more work you do, the more shit you're going to have to fix naturally. Um, and so we have a percent that we want to manage to in all of those buckets. And so when we look at a P&L, it's really easy to tell what we're winning with and what we're losing with. If we just look at five line items, we can really quickly tell, and this is exactly what's happening in my business in Minneapolis. Cost of goods sold, we're at like 43%. We want to be at 45 or lower, mm. we're at 43. No problems to solve. That's like a huge piece of our business. And if I can just say like, we're good, I don't need to think about how we're paying people. I don't need to think about how we're buying supplies. I don't like, I have no problems to solve there. So I'm just not going to solve any. We're exactly mm. where we need to be. And we're really consistent and our business model is dialed in. Our admin, however, is like 18%. We really got to think about 
how to get our admin team more efficient. Are we paying people too much? Is our salesperson not closing high enough? Are we not efficient in how we're routing them? Or what's our general manager doing? And how can we get them to be more productive? Hmm. Same with our fixed infrastructure. We have way too much software. Can we get on different subscriptions? Do we really need that software? Um, our variable is not bad. It's a little high because we spent a shit ton of money on recruiting, but we kind of said, cool, because our marketing is a little bit low. Like I talked about earlier, we're kind of using those interchangeably. But I, so, so I don't have to look at my P&L and try to like figure out which problems I need to solve. I know we have a people infrastructure problem and we have a fixed infrastructure problem that we just have like too many software bills. And so now I can get to work on solving those things, but I know exactly what my problems are and I don't need to stress about why we're not making money here. Where's, mm -hmm. where's our money going and, and why is our profitability not where it wants to be? Um, and so the whole point of that is to say, we're not doing bookkeeping and this is what we're doing for ourselves, but we're doing it for all of our other clients too. We're not doing bookkeeping so that right now they can pay their taxes. That's just like a bonus that within the next six days, all of our clients will have their books done. Um, the real benefit is that when they look at those reports, they know exactly what they need to focus on for 2022 to go make more money. Nice. Well, I mean, I think that's for us, for small business owners, especially in like you mentioned, we're not, we're not. Uh, we, we don't think financially, we think work, right? We, we know how to use a squeegee, we know how to get a job, we know how to talk to the customer. So to to have those numbers, and I'm sure it's probably in a little chart or something, you know, where it breaks down each thing in front of us that in, in something that's, that's understandable. And like you said, now you know what areas you actually need to worry because like with me, you just have kind of a general anxiety about every, you know, the whole thing that has to be with money. Now you can be specific. Yeah. And when you make it specific, now you can actually direct your energy in a, in a positive way to, to deal with it. So that's yeah, awesome. Now, now you don't have to lose sleep about 40 things. You just have two just things. Two things. things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Dan, we're, we're just about out of time. I really appreciate how generous you were to, to take time out of your busy schedule to talk with us, but that gives us a lot of uh, uh, things to chew on and to see where we can adjust. And anybody you want some, you need some help with bookkeeping or recruiting, please give uh, Dan a call there at uh, Blue Sky S Services and uh, they're going to be able to, to hook you up and help you out with whatever uh, you need. But uh, again, thanks so much. Anything else you want to say before we close up shop here? You know, if, if you need help on the recruiting side or the bookkeeping side, or you just want to like, it, our big thing, Gabriel, is we just, we really want to teach people. We mm -hmm. can teach them how to do the bookkeeping. We can teach them how to do the recruiting. And if they don't want to do it themselves, they can kind of outsource the labor end to us. And hopefully we can, you know, dish on some expertise with that. Um, but check out our Facebook pages, mm -hmm. Bookkeeping Beer and BS and Blue Collar Recruiting Groups. Um, the same, we have those same groups out on YouTube and mm -hmm. we like cut up some of the content a little differently. So check that stuff out. Yeah. And we have a bunch of free resources on our website, um, yeah. like target budget sheets that literally build your budget for whatever industry you're in for, for 2022. We've yeah. got recruiting resources out there. Our, our admin website is yourblueskies.com. So you can go check okay. that out. And if you're interested in anything that we're doing, fill out our contact form there and get in touch and, and we'll have a conversation and see how we can help you out. And, and also Flom is get on YouTube and just search his name because he, he's always on other people's podcasts. He's given some really good interviews. I, I really enjoyed the one you had on budget when the nice job uh, uh, podcast that you oh, had yeah. recently, that was really helpful. So yeah, any, any resources uh, that you, you just search his name and he, you're going to find some subject that's going to help your business. I'm so. borderline annoying. Yeah. If you search my name, I'm just going to. No, keep not at all, man. I, I love it. You're great. Sleep about that. 
<laughs> All right, buddy. Well, thanks so much, Dan. And thank you, Flomies, for listening in. We know you're going to enjoy uh, and follow through on some of the stuff that's in here. That way you can help your business. But thanks again for listening. And as always, flow on. Flow on.